patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 78. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Alita DeColi. The part one has just been an amazing testimony from our special guest this week. If you haven't already listened to part one, please listen to that first. The link to part one is down in the show notes below. I hope you will enjoy this part two as we continue on with her story growing up in communist Albania and how her journey to America has not only changed her, but have changed the lives of so many across the U.S. and across the world. I hope you enjoy part two. Well, just the impeccable work ethic, the the brilliance of of, of your family, it's just, uh, it's really remarkable. And no doubt that I think that brilliance and work ethic certainly passed on to you um uh, because it's it's just such a such a touching story and if i may i want to ask you now about your interest in music and also your journey to the united states seemed like must have been such a such a whirlwind journey to go from that part of the world that society to a place like the United States. Oh, it is, and life is amazing. I am very thankful for the opportunities that were given to me, and I don't take anything for granted. I uh, I appreciate, and I'm very proud of what I have achieved, and my family, especially that I have. But um, no, it has not been easy. It has not been easy for many reasons. The number one is that Albania ones that went. Uh, was a very poor country once that communism went down. Literally when communism went down, there was no food there. People were leaving the country and it was just a disaster everywhere. Uh, my father was asked then once that communism went down to become one of the leaders of the opposite party, which is the Democratic Party. So they had the socialists and the Democrats. The socialists changed their name from communist to socialist party. Basically were the same people. And oh, just growing up, it not you know, even though communism went down, I was not allowed to even walk on the streets alone because they were scared that uh, someone would kidnap me because my father now was in this position. And uh, also, you know, um, when you were isolated for so long and you have, you know, now it's a free country supposedly. People just many of the younger generation like the 18 20 25 year old went crazy they uh, went in italy started uh, gaining a little making a little money and came back and they acted like they had the world you know and that was very tough for you know for the especially for the girls and for everyone my brother was would not walk alone either in, in the streets we were very often threatened I remember in 1997 where the civil, uh, you know, what happened 
in Albania, I'm sure you might know about it, uh, with the pyramids, you know, the people would go to my father and tell him, you are going to end up having the same fortune as your father. Basically, you are going to die in prison, just like your your father. We are going to put you there. The communists will go behind his back and start telling him all of that and then keep walking. And so we were scared for our lives, to tell you the truth, because we were now my father was part of this new party that wanted to do, you know, do some good or make a change. And um, we were constantly threatened. But uh, I was scared. I was scared that they would take my father away. I was scared that I would live without a father, without um, family members. And uh, that was a story of its own. But they were very they were afraid that my brother, something would happen to me or my brother. So we were always uh, accompanied. We were never left alone. With that in mind, once that uh, high school ended, I, of course, I worked very hard. I got accepted at the university. The hopes for me during communism to be as a pianist in university was absolutely impossible. Um, let me go back by saying that during communism, you were not allowed to have a car. You were not allowed to have a private car, basically your own car. You were not allowed to have um, a piano at home. So I had to go to school to study. Uh, of course, there was a certain time. And for me, they gave me the worst possible times. When I was third grade, finally a spot was open for me to practice. And uh, my parents would wake me up at 5 a.m., get me dressed, and I was at school at 6, and practice there until 7, 7.15, and then go down, go to class. Of course, my father would drop me off at school, and they, he would um, go to work. He worked in the village, so he had a long uh, long way to go. <laughs> um, that's a different story. But um, And then once that spot was opened uh, in the afternoon, we had the hardest time, like people that worked, that had the practice time before me, that would just you know, take off the the uh, light bulbs, take just all kinds of stuff, just because we couldn't, we shouldn't, we would not be able to practice. And uh, <laughs> one time, my father and I, so okay, we said there is no electricity in this room, so we left. Right, another day without practice, mm-hmm. and. Um, went to my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's house. Then uh, going back, my father said, okay, well, it's still your time to practice. Let's go and see, maybe the electricity is back. So we went and see, there was light. And we went upstairs in the room. You know, we saw the window from the outside that there was light. We went upstairs and someone else was practicing. And that's when we realized that, you know, they were sabotaging our practice time. You know, so my father was carrying light bulb, light fixtures, you name it, with them. Oftentimes, uh, he asked one of his electrician friends to be <laughs> to be on guard because uh, we might go. And, there was no phones, of course. So my father would walk at his house and, uh, you know, have him come and try to, you know, walk fast or come and fix whatever was wrong so I could go and practice. So, I mean, the sacrifices that my parents have made for me to just somehow make it is just unbelievable. And, uh, of course, like I said, there were no cars that we could drive. Uh, 
it was just walking everywhere. My father had a bike and that's where I would be in the, you know, he would take me in his bike uh, to school or to the practice, whether it was raining, whether it was hot, whether it was uh, windy, Dura sits by the sea. So there was quite often <laughs> very windy. It's quite uh, windy in the city. So um, yeah, we, but somehow we survived, we made it. And once that, uh, Communism went down, things became a little easier. I was able to finally have a piano and practice at home. And uh, I made it. I made it, went to college. Once that I graduated college, a professor, my piano professor actually, asked me what I was going to do once that I graduated. And I said, I would love to work in this university. There's so much door. I mean, it was the only university of music in Albania. And uh she said, I think that could be possible. <laughs> and so that's how it all started. She suggested I work, I go to Vienna, um, give me the address. She said, why don't you apply for uh, some master classes there? It would be a good experience and we need that here. I said, sure. So I applied and then I went to American um, Airlines and I asked, I literally asked, can I have a sponsorship for the flight there? And they said, come back in two weeks I remember that I'm like oh who's gonna give this to me anyway I went back in two weeks I thought do I want to go back there it was so embarrassing to even ask the first time around but anyway I went back and they said well, we'll give you one of the flights so 50% of the flight is uh, paid from um, uh, Austrian Airlines and I was so surprised and of course I applied to another uh, foundation um Pro Helvetia. Pro Helvetia was quite big in the arts, helping the arts back then. I had a concert that I created and it was very successful. So they remembered me. And when I went and asked for a grant for this, they uh, supported it, which was amazing. <laughs> and uh, and so, yes, that's how it all started. So I went to Vienna. A professor heard me there uh, during the lessons and so on. And in Austria, the University of Music there. Um, when I arrived back, oh, she gave me her card and she said, write back to me once it arrived in Albania. And I did write to her. I said, hope you made it back. Uh, she was this, uh, this professor, let me uh, define. She was, uh, this professor taught during the summertime at the University of Music uh, in Vienna. However, during the sem regular semester, she taught at Baylor University in Waco. And so when uh, she came to United States and school started in Albania and I was working in university at that time, so I just started working in university, I sent her an email saying, I hope you made it uh, back to United States. Okay. And everything is well. And uh, yes, I'd love to be keep in touch with you. Something like that. So those terms, basically. And uh, she said, I've been thinking about you. What did you think about uh, how do you feel about coming to study in the United States? And I was like, okay, how do we do that? <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, that's how it all went. And, um, of course, that was the story of its own because during that time in Albania, you couldn't take the, in order to study at an American university, the number one step would be to pass the TOEFL test, which is an English uh, test. So um, once that um, I arrived in the United States, everything was different. It was a culture shock. It was uh, a learning experience for me. I was in a different 
I mean, just remembering how the students will get out of the class in flip-flops. I'm like, how? How? How is it possible if someone goes to school in flip-flops or in shorts? <laughs> I mean, you know, just this little things. And then um, in class, the communication with the professors, how freely the students were communicating with the professor. To me, it was uh, very bizarre because usually you didn't, um, the professor would not ask for your opinion, just tell you how the, you know, uh, give you the lecture and you were supposed to have the lecture prepared, even in university. Of course, in the music world was different because it was one-on-one -on -one classes. So it was uh, a different partnership, professor, student. But um, for me, it was hard to understand the Texas accent, even though I passed the TOEFL test, even though I, uh, you know, I, I thought I could hear BBC and understand everything perfect. I could hear... I learned a lot of English from friends watching the show. Friends, I love friends. Even though I could understand friends very well. <laughs> I, um, I remember one of my, uh, actually, uh, a friend of mine that I met in Vienna in Austria was studying at Baylor University with the same professor. She was uh, half Austrian and half Italian. And she arrived in the United States six months before me. And uh, I, I guess... She was more fluent in English or in Texas. She could understand the accent and everything so much better. So she would, I had to open a bank account, went to Bank of America, and I didn't understand a word that the lady was telling me, the banker. So um, my friend decided to translate. I speak Italian, so she was translating to me in Italian. I was speaking back in, to my friend in Italian, and uh, so that's how I opened the bank, my first bank account. And can you imagine I was in school? I had started my master's already, and uh, but one of the professors was making a joke one time. I remember very clearly that he uh, and everyone was laughing. I mean, he would make jokes all the time, but I guess uh, he had noticed that I would never laugh at his jokes. And uh, one time he called me out on that. He said, I guess it wasn't funny for you or something like that. <laughs> I said, well, can you repeat that? <laughs> that joke, maybe I understand what you're saying. Because I didn't know what he was talking about. So anyway, I made my way through that. It was uh, it was it was an experience. It was a learning experience. I think it was a great experience. Looking back at it, it built me up to you know to understand more the culture, the mentality, and you know the American thinking. Because I was a psychologist, and I try to see their faces and try to figure things out by just you know what they. That what they were trying to say just by looking at their face, even if I didn't understand all the words that they were talking about. So that's how it all started. But it was a very nice environment here at the Baylor University. Everyone was so welcoming and so helpful. So it was a fantastic experience. Then I had a manager. I applied for for uh, for a manager before graduating. Um, Joanna Stefan back then with uh, Prestige Classical, that company, that managing company does not exist anymore. However, back then they had concert series at Carnegie Hall, Merkin Concert Hall, among other um, concerts that we would perform. It was a fantastic group of artists that I still keep in touch with. Uh, at the end of her career, Joanna um, kind of gave each one, like a, a mother gave each one of her artists a certain path. And she, for me, she always suggested that you know, you are that girl next door that, you know, the American people think that you are part of them. However, you're European, so the Europeans think that you're part of them. 
part of their lives, their culture, their, you know, their mentality. So she said, you'd become a great uh, face of a piano company and, you know, you go on stage and you perform and everyone didn't expect to hear what they heard, you know, where, when you perform. So that's what she suggested. And, uh, we went through several companies, which one would be the best fit for me. And uh, Mason Hamlin was for sure the right, uh, the right choice. You know, the oldest American uh, piano company that, uh, and their sister company was Piano Disc, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with Piano Disc, but you know, it's where you place a strip on the piano and, uh, where you put the CD, now it's, of course, connected. Back then it was through, you put the CD in the piano uh, and the piano starts playing by itself. The pedal starts moving. The artist is not there, but the keys are pressed and the music comes out. Uh, it changed, of course, with uh, when I became their artist. I was the first one to connect in the Blu-ray DVD. And the Blu-ray, or um, actually there is a iPad IQ pretty and smart <laughs> and then there was my picture there that's what it was IQ iPad pretty and smart and um, um, I was the first one to bring so basically the first artist to bring the technology that you connect through the iPad and the piano starts playing on its own and wirelessly you connect to the TVs at the house and uh, you could see the artist performing and the keys being pressed in the piano however the artist wasn't there <laughs> you know so basically uh the, I, I performed the piece and um, anyway, so that was, uh, it was a great experience working for them, a fantastic uh, family owned company that they have such respect and we still are quite connected. And uh, even though, you know, uh, life has taken me into so many directions and uh, that I enjoy doing everything that I do right now. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's just a wonderful journey, you know, going to a whole new world and Texas does it again. They, they're just such a welcoming place. And like I said earlier, I, I think those genes from your, uh, your family really passed down, especially the language part, because you, you, uh, you obviously have nailed down the English language so well. And, uh, I, it's, it's really remarkable. I, I do think that, uh, you know, this, this journey that you've taken going from Albania to Waco, Texas, uh, at a, in a whole new world. And the, the Texas accent really is a, a genuine American treasure. I can tell you that. I think, I think all the Texans would appreciate that very much. Um, I, I want to now uh, turn a bit to a bit more about uh, some of the initiatives that you are now a part of. One of the things that you've been able to do is that you've founded the Dallas Institute of Musical Advancement, uh, based on you know your your passion for music and your great talent. Uh, share with us a little bit about this organization and what what it means to you when you bring this uh, organization out to countless families and kids um, and others who really want to share that same passion of music that you had before. So through my career, you, know, uh, you grow and you evolve as uh, life takes you. <laughs> I, I always knew that I wanted to, to work on higher education level. I wanted to work at the university for the first time that I stepped in at the Dallas Baptist University. I, uh, 
I told myself, I want to work in this university. <laughs> Believe it or not, that, that was one of the reasons that I started my doctoral degree. And during the time that I was doing my uh, DMA, doctoral music or arts degree, I created a family. I, I had uh, the first child, the second child, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I actually had my final dissertation while I was pregnant with my third one. And uh, during this time, once that I had the third child, my uh, book that was a dissertation was published and um, my first book. But throughout all of this that I went through, of course, music being always a very important part, performing was so important. Even if I had children, I performed until I was seven months pregnant with my first one. And so, and the same thing with my second child. Um, I slowed down a little bit with my third one. Um, because I was raised a certain way with a certain structure of uh, working, work ethic, of course, always built up with that love, but uh, positive discipline. I uh, I wanted something else for my children. And that is how uh, DFW Institute of Musical Advancement started. I wanted a certain, when I had my, my first child turned three, years old and um, I thought I need to find a program that actually it's a good fit for my first one and, and you know moving on with my other children and for some reason I had a hard time figuring that out so I said okay I'll, I'll do my I'll start mine then <laughs> and that's how uh, uh, that's how my school my music school started so we started in 2018 and my um, oldest one had started taking lessons I was pleased with his uh, progress. However, uh, it was not exactly what I wanted 100%. And uh, that's how I started the school that he, I, of course, I had friends that always asked me, Elida, can you teach my child? Or, and so on. And even though the desire was to give that knowledge to the younger generation, I couldn't afford to time-wise just because, you know, kids finish school at a certain time at 3.30, 4 o'clock. And uh, at that time, I wanted to spend with my children. I believe in the, you know, that connecting with your children, being there for your children. So I couldn't work past 5 p.m. And uh, I wanted that family time. So I decided to hire well, very well qualified teachers, guide them, train them to do exactly what I wanted to do with our students, with programs that I created myself. And I thought, why don't I take it to the next level? And we provide after-school programs into these schools. And I wanted to start with a school that my children were attending at that point. And um, I proposed to them, I said, what do you think of this idea? And of course, um, I talked to the head of the lower school. At the end, she said, well, I have to talk, you know, we have to go through the the headmaster. However, what I do feel very comfortable to say is that we're looking forward to adding that kind of uh, class of the classical music to our school. And this school is one of the top uh, uh, lower, you know, from age three to 10 schools in the United States. It's a private school. So that's how we started. And um, I started providing programs there. Of course, uh, the parents were... Uh, super excited, super happy for their child to be able to take lessons in the school. And my kids were taking lessons there as well. 
And uh, yes, it very it grew very fast from that point. The next semester we added another school, and then um, we kept adding different more schools. And it was all pretty much. I never did an advertisement, but the school kept growing. Then COVID hit, and my number one priority was to protect our. Uh, I think I started this in 2018, August of 2018, and then uh, COVID hit in 2020, and. Uh, we went online. Our teachers were, of course, uh, teaching online internationally, so it was not that hard for us. But it was hard psychologically for our students and for our, you know, even for our teachers because everyone was locked in their homes at this point. Uh, my school was one of the first ones to um, to be able to start providing lessons in person. I took the decision that I'm going to spend financially uh, to where our teachers are tested weekly. So they took the test at home and they, they mailed the test out every week. And our parents felt safe. So we started providing lessons in home. And a lot of these parents were doctors that we were teaching their kids. So they're like, we love this. You know, they, <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yes, it kept growing and growing. And just last semester, I couldn't believe it. I was actually in Europe. And um, the classes kept growing, the wait list, and we had to accommodate over 180 students within a month. So uh, the school is growing, but that's how I all, I started all this. We're connected to the Royal Conservatory of Music. We partner with them. And so our, our students take their exams uh, as well. And so we see the progress if we want to. It's been uh, very good, knock on wood. <laughs> I love it. It's my fourth child. <laughs> That's so wonderful. And, and it's music is, is truly important in school and in that early uh, education phase and learning and being able to, to think and to be creative. Uh, one thing that I haven't revealed to you and may, perhaps to my audience is that my mother is a, a piano teacher. And so, oh, wonderful. yes, that's right. So she started her own uh, piano school. She did it for a number of years. Um, she scaled back, that back uh, a bit to focus on some other things that she loves to do. But uh, this this whole, it's just great. And uh, I've, I've supported so much, especially with her initiatives to combine tea and music. Uh, she, it's just a, it's just a wonderful combination because who, who doesn't want to listen to amazing music with soothing tea? <laughs> it's a great idea. It's fantastic. I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, it's just a, such a great initiative. I, I support my mother so much, and uh, she, she really has has taught me a lot about important, not just the importance of music, but just having that work ethic and all those amazing values. That work ethic music really, really uh, provides, it makes you think outside of the box and yes. makes you be creative. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. That's why I'm a big believer in music. And to, to take it one step further, we, I'm a big believer in leadership, especially leadership through music, because you think outside of the box in music, you also, you introduce yourself a certain way. It's very important to connect with the public starting it or with the audience starting at a very young age. And that's what we try to do at our school, connect, you know, connect with the audience and then perform. So show them that here I am telling you what this piece is all about or what this 
you know, what I'm about to do right now, it's all about and let me perform it right now, whether it's a duel, where it's a solo, or where it's um, uh, a group performance, uh, a chamber performance. So uh, for us, for me personally, that's very important. And that's something new that uh, I have created. So yes, I, I love everything that I do. <laughs> That's that's just amazing, and I, I I can't wait to learn more about your your organization and and just uh, I I really appreciate so much of what you do with this uh, incredible initiative, and I want to now turn to uh, we have uh, just a couple more questions for you. The final one, which is, before we get to our kind of reflection phase, so to speak, um, is about. Uh, really, your work with the Victims of Communism Foundation, and really just in general, what would be your your main message to those who, you know, want to learn more about uh, the horrors of communism, to want want to learn more about history and how history can teach the present and the future? Um, what would be your message, and just to give a, a wraps around? Uh, so many of the amazing stories that are still out there, like yours, that are being told and are, that are so useful for our understanding of how we can move forward in our society. So it all started for me personally as a leader. I'm writing a book right now about that reflects my life in communism, my parents' life, my great grandparents' life. I was, I'm very, um, thankful to my husband that actually supports me in this idea that said that you've got to share the story. You've got to, uh, for just for your children, just for our children, for the future generations, that they should know where they came from and uh, what happened to their grandparents and great-grandparents. And of course, with my children, I, I, we educate them on this, um, you know, about the, socialism about the communism about life and freedom and democracy my idea to or not not the idea but the feeling that i need to do something more i'm very lucky i consider myself very lucky and i need to to make sure i was seeing what happened in albania and what's still going on in albania but i felt that i didn't have the strength and the power to do something and that is that should never be the case thinking back at it why did I feel so little I could do so much right um if I don't do it who is going to so don't expect that someone else is going to do the job that you actually should do or the you know if you feel what you believe that the mission for in life for you is so um when I was pregnant with my third child uh, my father wrote his story his book uh, wanted to write it for his grandchildren and he asked me to translate it. I started reading it and I just cried and cried and cried from what I read. And uh, I had to stop because I was pregnant and I didn't want that to take a turn on me. And once that I had the child, I, uh, once that I had my third, my daughter, I uh, went back to the book and started uh, translating. And it was so sad to read all. And so many things connected made sense. So I figured out so many things at this age, let's say, three years ago. And uh, and that's when I decided that I will share my family story, uh, both of my family story in a book that so far has gone quite, I mean, I've written almost three fourth of the book and uh, soon hopefully will have a life of its own. But this is how it all started. And 
I was very thankful because my publisher of my first book, Alexander Page, Albanian Music Before and After the Iron Curtain, had worked with the victims of communism of America. And he said, I would like to introduce you to them. I think you'll be, uh, you'll find a lot that you can work with one another. And uh, that was a fantastic way of connecting with this organization that I believe has done so much and doing so much in the, you know, in the fight against communism and socialism at the same time. And um, that is how it all started. An introductory email was sent and uh, they right away said, we'd love for you to share your story, lead and perform as well. And uh, um, when I went to DC and performed, it was a very touching experience on their end and mine as well. And because to see people, fighters and people that had gone through, once that I performed, I had from the audience people coming saying that, um, Oh, just different stories. I I was able to escape uh, from uh, you know from the dictatorship in, in Cuba. And now you know I'm here free, but the rest of my family is there. I can talk to them. I can connect with them, and so on. It was very very touching. At the same time, I was happy to share my word, my my you know what I went through. But it is so sad to hear the stories of so many people that are going through it right now. And uh, that motivated more to connect and collaborate with the VSC. And um, we decided to, I mean, at some point VSC uh, suggested that, how do you feel about opening, becoming the ambassador of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation in Dallas, the Dallas branch. And it was something that, um, of course, I wanted to, I was more than happy to take over and uh, give my, you know, give my all I could in order to educate the younger generation with the, the danger that socialism and communism brings. And uh, there's so much to it that I cannot explain in interview, but there's so much to be done because unfortunately, uh, socialism is turning into a trend right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's turning into a trend that it's uh, unfortunate and it's a false ideology that they are presenting right now. And, uh, the younger generation should know about this. The high schools should know. Even middle schools should know the, the truth of what's going on and what's happening right now in America and all over the world. Well, what you do is so important to the fabric of our civic society, Alita, because when we hear these stories, when Americans hear stories, and they love stories. I mean, people love stories. When they hear those stories like yours and the, those of people who literally experienced communism, that I think is such a such an inspirational motivator for not just not just pe- people all across the the nation who wish to listen, but I think it's going to be really important for those who want to be public servants, who want to serve the United States, and to keep these stories in mind and these lessons in mind. Uh, I I I can't I cannot commend you enough for for what you're doing for the victims of communism, and just sharing your stories to 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 countless audiences. And with your with your book, I look forward to purchasing it and reading it because I think it's going to be a wonderful read. And we'll look back at this episode, and it's going to just going to be a one. I think it's going to be a wonderful wonderful piece, a wonderful gift for for so many audiences, both young uh, young and old. 
I want to now turn to our final question before we wrap it up, and that is, you know, with this podcast, Friends and Fellow Citizens, um, I've outlined six ideas or principles that Washington laid out in his farewell address of 1796. Um, he covers patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, and civility, amongst some others as well. Um, out of those six, which one or which ones do you think are particularly relevant when it comes to your advocacy work, but also really your story about going from communist Albania to the United States of America? I think all of them are very important and very well connected to one another. One thing that we have missed in my country during communism was faith. And uh, I do believe in God. I do believe, you know, to me, it's not important whether you're a Muslim, a Christian, um, Orthodox, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, in your religion, it's that you believe, you have that strength that you you are allowed to believe. In Albania, you are not allowed to believe in God. And that is something that I think faith is very important. Having that unity is extremely important. And education is what builds you up for the future. It's what builds the, the next generation as a parent. I want to be well-educated, well-informed, to, be, to provide the best possible um, information to my child. And I, I am doing the same with my children, educating them in the way that they pass on to, this, to their children, this kind of uh, the education and being you know, united at the same time. And, the, and Civilization is extremely important. All of this come, are part of a dem democratic life. None of this existed in communism, faith, uh, education. You were not allowed to get that. Not everyone was allowed to have it. Uh, civilization, <laughs> you couldn't have that either. So uh, a strong country is built in all of these. And uh, I mean, we're very thankful to, to still have those in, in America. And there's not much we can go. There's not much further that you can go from here, from the America, from United States of America. I think this is the, this is it. this is the country that provides pretty much all of them, and we need to make it to make sure that this is we 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 hold tight to all of these principles. <laughs> Absolutely, well, very well said, Alita. Uh, Lita, thank you so much for a wonderful interview. I just want to wrap it up real quick uh, before, um, first of all, I will be sure to link uh, the links you've sent me or referred to me down the show notes below, including a couple of articles that you wrote. And um, I've, I highly encourage people to check those out and read more about uh, her and about what she's writing. But Alita, I just want to say one quick thing before we wrap it up, which is I, I really, I cannot emphasize how grateful uh, I am to you because uh, you clearly are very busy with all these amazing initiatives. You um, have worked so hard. You have such a, such a history of not just, I think, not just living through what, what is hell on earth, from, from what I've heard and from what I think people have heard, but also what also the values that your family has instilled in you. And I, I just can't imagine, I can imagine your, your family members seeing where you are today, looking at how successful you are. 
Um, not to mention all the advocacy work that you're doing to uh, speak to all kinds of audiences, uh, both the younger generation and older generations. Uh, I think that we can all bond around these stories and these values which you you espouse. And I, I, I am so I'm so touched by by what you say. I'm sitting here listening to your stories, and uh, I just I can't even begin to imagine. You know, I've I'm I was born and raised here in the states. I know that. On my mother's side and uh, my grandfather didn't have uh, didn't own shoes until he was six years old. So I, I I love hearing stories about other people who've witnessed the horrors of I say humanity, but honestly there wasn't much humanity and in, 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 there's no humanity in communism. There's there's just power and there's just greed and and all the uglies of civilization or the lack of it. And I just uh, I I just want to. I just want to thank you so much because this is this is such a wonderful opportunity, and I I cannot wait to uh, look out for your book. I'll need a uh, I'm going to update my Amazon.com uh, <laughs> account and uh, and get ready for that because uh, I just uh, I, I'm again I am so grateful and please please keep up all the work that you're doing because this is so so important for not just. Not just for for this generation, but for future generations as well. And I'd like to thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity and the voice to speak. At the same time, uh, congratulations in everything that you are doing. And uh, I certainly would like to say, keep it up as well. And uh, I look forward to hearing your podcast and and more, to hear so much more from you. Wow, what an incredible story. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this interview with Dr. Lita DeColi. She really is an inspiration, and I'm very grateful to all of you for joining us in this exclusive two-part interview episode. Make sure to check out the links down in the show notes below. Subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe to our email list to get the latest news and notifications about friends and fellow citizens. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy the rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.